0: This morning we're going to consider a house built on a rock, a house built on a rock and we're looking at Luke chapter 6 verse 43 through to verse 49. In the first part of Luke chapter 6 the outward showy and empty religion of the Pharisees and scribes was considered. Although they had no doubt been circumcised in the flesh in accordance with the law that was given to Israel of old, there was no evidence that their hearts had ever been circumcised. The absence of any mercy and compassion for their fellow human beings and their hatred of the incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, clearly demonstrated that although they were Very religious people, they were nevertheless dead in their trespasses and sins. That was evident in the bad fruit that they brought forth. For example, the Pharisees took issue with Jesus when his disciples, who were hungry, plucked corn on the Sabbath day and ate it. And when on another Sabbath day Jesus restored a man's withered right hand, the Pharisees and the scribes sought how they might destroy him. The fact that they did not believe Jesus to be the Son of God manifest in the flesh and the fact that they wanted to kill him speaks volumes about their rebellion against God. As Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 23, He that honoureth not the Son, honoureth not the Father which hath sent him. By wanting to kill Jesus, the Pharisees and the scribes most certainly did not honour him. And they didn't honour the Father. Straight away you'd have to wonder how many millions of people, religious people, there are in the world now who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. I can think of whole religions, millions of people, billions of people, who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, these religious people, they do not honour Jesus. They do not honour the Father. In other words, they do not honour God, as religious as they may be they are in rebellion against God and the wrath of God abides on them. Moving on to the second part of chapter 6, Jesus spoke to his disciples and he proceeded to instruct them on matters of living out a genuine faith in him. A faith that is seen in loving your enemies, blessing them that curse you, praying for them which despitefully use you, and in being merciful and forgiving as people who have received much mercy and have received forgiveness from God for all their sins. Such virtues, whilst they never will, never do save anybody, loving your neighbour, or, or, or at least trying to to show a bit of compassion to other people and as I often say offering to feed the cat when your neighbour's on holiday and and helping children across the road and all the rest of it good things all of these things really are good they never will save anybody though they'll never make anyone righteous before God but they are nevertheless the works and the good fruit of a person who already is righteous before God with the righteousness of Christ. It's not a righteousness of their own, it's the righteousness of Christ. That person having already been saved by his sins, by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus, that's what a Christian is, someone who's been saved by the grace of God, saved and justified by grace through faith in Jesus. And such people seek God's grace to honour both the Father and the Son in a born-again life. What we shall look at first of all this morning as we consider the remaining verses in Luke chapter 6 is an illustration given by Jesus of two different types of tree. A good tree that brings forth good fruit and a corrupt tree that brings forth bad fruit. Then we shall consider the explanation that Jesus gives and last of all, we shall look at the application that Jesus made to his disciples about bringing forth good fruit or else bad fruit. First of all, we see two types of tree and their respective fruit. Look at verses 43 and verse 44 of Luke chapter 6. Verse 43. For a good tree bringeth, forth, bringeth not forth corrupt fruit. Neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. You'll see that verse 43 starts with the word for and that tells us that what Jesus is about to say about trees and about their fruit follows on from his teaching about righteous living. First of all note that what Jesus is not saying is that only good trees bring forth fruit. Good trees produce good fruit but also corrupt or bad trees bring forth bad fruit. We've already seen that to be the case with the Pharisees and the scribes and the bad fruit that they, has brought, they have brought forth to the extent that they wanted to destroy Jesus. That's about as bad as it gets. Good trees do not bring forth bad fruit and bad trees do not bear good fruit. Jesus gives a simple example for all of us to understand in verse 44 where he says, for every tree is known by its fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. The fact is that uh, thorn bushes don't produce figs. Neither do bramble bushes produce grapes. But they do all produce fruit, whether it be good or bad. The explanation now concerning the two types of tree. Anyone who is familiar with the parable of the soils will know that in that parable Jesus was not giving a lesson in horticulture or gardening or farming or whatever. Neither was he doing so in these verses about a good tree and a bad tree and their respective fruit. Rather he was speaking figuratively in order to describe and illustrate the two different types of people that inhabit the world. Look at verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil for the, for of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. In Matthew's Gospel, the words of Jesus about good trees and bad trees, in the parallel passage, Matthew speaks about the same things as Luke is speaking about. And in Matthew's account, there's a warning about false prophets. We don't see it here, but we do in Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 to 20, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Of course they don't. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, or cut down, and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, this is the fruits of the prophets, the false prophets, ye shall know them. Some dangers can easily be spotted at a very safe distance, and then avoided. For example, a volcanic eruption or a forest fire. You'll see it from a distance. And if you've got any sense, you'll stay away from it. However, when it comes to false prophets or false teachers, they're not so obvious as Jesus said. They come in sheep's clothing. Thereby giving the impression that they belong to Jesus, that they're sent by him, But inwardly, they are ravening wolves. In other words, they're deceptive. And that is to be expected when you consider their master. Who is the master of the false prophets? The devil. When you consider him, whilst he walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, he is also said to disguise himself as an angel of light. That's dangerously deceptive, isn't it? A roaring liar, roaring lion masquerading as an angel of light. Doesn't get any more deceptive than that. We're all fallible. We all make mistakes, don't we? And that includes teachers and preachers in churches and it most certainly includes me. However, when it comes to the false teachers and their bad fruit... Those workers of iniquity can be very cunning indeed. They can be very subtle and deceptive, which means that when it comes to their bad fruit, even though they might be known by the unscriptural things that they say and downright heretical things that they might say, you're just as likely, if not more likely, to know them by what they do not say, because they're deceptive. For example, it's most unlikely that you will hear the false teachers preaching on the Trinity, that in God there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word or the Son and the Holy Spirit of one substance, power and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. They're not likely to mention man's total depravity, are they? They're too busy making you feel good about yourself. They're not really preachers, they're motivational speakers. They should be on YouTube as influencers, earning a fortune instead of preaching from the pulpit. They won't speak on the wrath of God upon everyone who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not likely to hear them calling on people to show repentance towards God and faith in Jesus. Instead, they're more likely to urge their hearers to invite Jesus into their hearts. Talk about softening the message. Appealing to a totally depraved person who has never repented to invite Jesus into his heart. How ridiculous is that? Neither are you likely to hear them teaching that salvation from sin is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. we we'll look at um, <coughs> verse 45 again. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Unlike in Matthew's Gospel, there's no mention of prophets or teachers, false teachers, and their respective fruit, whether they be good fruit or bad fruit. As I say, it's different, slightly different to Matthew's Gospel. The application is much more general, so as to, to include anyone and everyone, not just prophets of God or teachers, Bible teachers, it includes everyone, and everyone, people in here today. And the same principles apply. I'm sure we all know people who have no interest in Jesus, yet for all that, they come across as nice, and their niceness is evidence in the thoughtful and considerate things that they say, and that they seem to do for others often puts me to shame, I tell you. When it comes to the children of God, people who, having been dead in trespasses and sins, talking about Christians, who were once dead in trespasses and sins, and have been raised up to newness of life in their great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the love of God is shed abroad or poured into their hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given to them That doesn't mean that they are always nice and friendly to everyone, does it, Christian? Even though you've got the Holy Spirit in you, even though God has poured out his love in your heart by the Holy Spirit, can you honestly say that you're always nice, pleasant to people? I doubt it. The reality is that even the pagans often teach us Christians a thing or two about being nice and hospitable and compassionate to others. Even so as children of God, Christians are holy and without blame before God in love to the praise of his glory and grace wherein he have made them accepted in the beloved, in his Son In other words, if you belong to Jesus, if you're a Christian, you stand before God, holy and blameless, washed in the blood of your Saviour and clothed in his righteousness. Day by day, God is working in you, his child, to will and to do of his good pleasure as you continue to grow in practical holiness and as you are being conformed day by day to the image of Christ through receiving knowledge of the truth. The Holy Spirit is working in you day by day through the scriptures, through the truth and conforming you to the image of Christ. It's an ongoing and progressive work. And it will only ever reach completion when God's time for you in this world has come to an end. Even so, it's reasonable for you Dear Christian, as a child of God, whom the Apostle Paul describes as a new creature or a new creation in Christ, it's reasonable for you to bring forth good fruit to the glory of God and thanksgiving in your heart as a consequence of God's great love for you through Jesus Christ, your Saviour, who carried your sins away in his own body. He, having submitted himself, to the demands of God's laws on your behalf. Last of all, we come to the application, building a house either upon a rock or upon sand. Let's have a look at those final verses again, verse 46 through to 49. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation, built an house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Remember that in the second part of chapter 6 the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching his disciples or his pupils. That's very clear. Having talked to them, his disciples, about good people bearing good fruit and evil people bringing forth corrupt or bad fruit, he then said to them, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And let me just emphasize again, Jesus was speaking to disciples when he said that. He wasn't speaking to those nasty Pharisees and scribes. He was talking to people who followed him around all over the place. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? When the disciples heard from Jesus that they did not do the things he said, that most certainly would not have been music to their ears. But that's how it was with them, and I dare say that's how it is with all disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, including disciples in here today. Who wants to be told by Jesus, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Dear Christian, you'll know that to be the case with you. You're a disciple of Jesus, yet how often do you with heaviness of heart, confess your sins before God, your Heavenly Father, and then he graciously forgives you your sins, and he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. I'm sure I'm not the only Christian in here who knows from bitter and painful experience what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. The words of, the words of the apostle Paul. The fact is that all Christians are guilty of not doing what Jesus says. However, even though we have heavy hearts because of our continued wretchedness, We nevertheless rejoice. We're nevertheless eternally thankful to God that our acceptance by him is not dependent on our obedience. Thank God for that. Rather our acceptance is and always will be in his beloved son who became obedient unto death even the death of the cross as he bare away our sins. And for that we do rejoice and thank God. Having said that there were and still are counterfeit disciples, people who profess faith in Jesus despite having never truly known him as their Lord. Perhaps there's someone like that in here this morning. This is something that is addressed in the remaining verses. But we see such people in John chapter 6, counterfeit Christians. For example, where Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 64, But there are some of you that believe not. Speaking to his disciples, there are some of you that believe not. And then after those solemn words of Jesus, the, the Apostle John wrote, For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back, not just one or two. Don't just think about um, um, Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. How about that? These were disciples of Jesus, but they were counterfeit. Coming back to the parable of the soils again, I've already mentioned the parable of the soils, that it wasn't a lesson in horticulture. To all intents and purposes... The third category of people in the parable of the soils, the people who received the word of God in that parable were disciples of Jesus. When you think of that parable, if you're familiar with it, different 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 categories of people, four in fact, and it was only the last group of people that were really Christians. They'd received the word and they endured. As for the other groups there, well, what were they? Were they Muslims or Hindus or something? They were counterfeit Christians. Or or they made some profession of faith, maybe for a second or two, maybe longer, until it all went pear-shaped for them. Because the, the, the seed that was sown, the word of God, did not take root. In other words, they too, walked no more with Jesus they endured for a while but when tribulation or persecution arose because of the word by and by they were offended this was the third group they were offended that's the end of them still in verse 46 here in Luke chapter 6 the disciples whether they are truly saved or not they don't just say Lord They say, Lord, Lord. Even though the word Lord can simply mean Sir. In this verse, it's a lot more than that. It means nothing less than an acknowledgement that Jesus is God. Because it's coming from the mouth of disciples. When they say, Lord, Lord, they're acknowledging Jesus to be God, manifest in the flesh. And nothing less than that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul said, No man can say Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. And so it is that all true disciples of Jesus, you dear Christian, when you say Lord, when that word Lord with reference to Jesus proceeds from your mouth, it's coming from a heart which that truly believes that Jesus is God and you have the Holy Spirit testifying with your spirit that Jesus is indeed God. And then when you talk about the Lord Jesus, you are saying, my Jesus, who loved me and who gave himself for me, is God, the Son of God. However, that doesn't stop the false disciples, false Christians, people who do not have the Holy Spirit, also saying, Lord, Lord, does it? As they pay lip service to Jesus. They don't have the Holy Ghost in them, testifying with their spirit, but they do still say, Lord, Lord, as they pay lip service to Jesus. They may even be people who pray the most amazing prayers and sing the hymns, more beautifully than anyone else. But it doesn't alter the fact that they're counterfeit Christians. Let's have a look at verse 47. 30, 47, sorry, yep, yeah, 47. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. That's an interesting verse, whosoever cometh to me. When we read about coming to Jesus, you can forget any idea that we take the initiative in our salvation from sin. And perhaps we even invite Jesus into our hearts. How many times do I hear that? People talking about inviting Jesus into their hearts. The Bible teaches something very different, that the carnal mind is enmity against God. In other words, the unregenerate and unsaved man hates God and is in rebellion against God. As such, the only way that any natural born sinner like you or me will ever come to the sinless saviour is if God the Father draws him with loving kindness, granting him repentance for sin, and opens his heart to hear the sayings of Jesus and to do them. First and foremost, hearing and doing the sayings of Jesus means believing the gospel, which tells us about how totally depraved sinners like us can be reconciled to a holy God. The American theologian R.C. Sproul put it like this. The gospel is called the good news because it addresses the most serious problem that you and I have as human beings. And that problem is simply this. God is holy and he is just and I'm not. And at the end of my life, I'm going to stand before a just and holy God and I'll be judged. And I'll be judged either on the basis of my own righteousness or lack of it, or the righteousness of another. The good news of the Gospel is that Jesus lived a life of perfect righteousness, of perfect obedience to God, not for his own well-being, but for his people. He has done for me what I couldn't possibly do for myself. But not only has he lived that life of perfect obedience, he has offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the justice and the righteousness of God. If, by the grace of God, you hear and believe the gospel of Christ, then inevitably the sayings of Jesus will take on a broader meaning in your born-again life, a practical meaning, as he leads you in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. In other words, as day by day he leads you, for his own glory verse 48 and 49 he is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock and when the flood arose the stream beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock but he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. In Matthew's account, we see the the second person building his house upon the sand. So one built his house upon a rock, the other one built his house upon sand. In verse 48, Jesus likens the life of the man who comes to him and hears his sayings to a man who built his house on a solid foundation, a rock. The house withstood a flood. It also withstood the ensuing stream that forcefully beat upon it. And that is because the house was built upon a rock. I think we can all picture that one, can't we? By way of contrast, in verse 49, Jesus uh, talks about the man who hears and doeth not. In other words, he is someone who may well be a regular churchgoer, but the gospel of Christ that he has heard umpteen times, perhaps, does not take root in his heart and life. He is someone who who rejects the gospel and he rejects Christ as his saviour from sin and as his Lord even though he says, Lord, Lord. He is likened to a man who built his house on the earth or the sand and not on a rock. Consequently, when the flood came and the stream of water beat against the house, the house was destroyed. Note that nothing is said about the actual houses. We don't get any description whether they they were Tudor houses or semi-detached or detached or, or what they were. We don't know and we don't care. Nothing is said about the houses. They all look the same. Other, the, the, what we do know is that one had its foundations upon a rock and the other had its foundations on the earth. Therefore, there's no reason to imagine that one house was any better, any stronger than the other. It's all about what they were built on. That's what really matters. We, like the two houses, are all the same. By that I mean that we have all sinned, we all come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. Even so, by the grace of God, those of you who say, Lord, Lord, as people who really don't, who really do know Jesus as your Lord, as the God of your salvation, having received Him, as your saviour from sin and your life is built upon him and his sayings Jesus is the rock on which you stand consequently not only do you endure when the trials and tribulations come and praise God for that but also you bring forth good fruit As the hymn writer confidently said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And as you lean on Jesus' name, and as you have the Holy Spirit working in you to will and to do of God's good pleasure, and as you are being sanctified day by day, by the truth and the word of God is truth you will bring forth fruit for the glory of God as for the rest of you you will without any doubt fall and the ruin of your house will be great at the judgment because this is what ultimately it's speaking of where we see the storm coming and the and the stream beating vehemently against the house one house being destroyed and the other house um, withstanding the the, the that um, storm ultimately that speaks of the judgment not just the little trials that we go through but the judgment itself you will go away to everlasting punishment unless you repent and receive Jesus as your savior and as your lord amen